0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com.
0: 18 plus.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. I'm Mari Forth. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast, where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. We'd love it if you would subscribe to our feed. Please go to robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed. You'll get your true crime on Tuesdays, as well as helping keep this program going.
3: If you've already subscribed, thank you. It makes a big difference. Sarah, uh, what are we watching this week?
2: Well, let's open today's file. We watched Low Country, the Murdoch, Murdoch Murder <laughs> Dynasty on HBO Max. Uh, that surname is said in various ways uh, throughout the uh, <laughs> docuseries. We will probably give it a bit of a red hot go. It's directed by Maulushi and Danielle Sylvan. They previously worked together on Camp Confidential, America's Secret Nazis, which we've spoken about briefly on the program before, and the Oslo Diaries. But we can't venture into the Low Country without our guest. She's our first four-timer <gasps> from the Extra Hot Break podcast and Exhibit B bookshop. Yes, it's Sarah D. Bunting. Sarah, welcome to the scene. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. A four-timer. Mm-hmm. You might as well just pull
1: up a seat just (laughs) put a little plaque on my director's chair. Very exciting.
2: Yes. We're not going to get into sending people hats, but if we did, you'd uh, just have one more one more click to collect the set. Oh, (laughs) fantastic. Mm -hmm. So uh, before we get to our main feature, we've got a little bit of a whip around of updates. Sarah, you have a true crime update that we're hanging on some information for tomorrow. I do. Um, Apparently the boy
1: in the box case, um, this was a small child of indeterminate age and um, anonymity who was found in the late fifties in Philadelphia. Uh, Apparently genetic forensics have identified this child and uh, Philadelphia PD is going to make an announcement on that. I believe December 2nd. Uh, And then they're going to start working the case. They apparently have a rock solid identity, um, his, uh, headstone will hopefully be updated and, uh, we're going to get some updates on that and, uh, hat tip to my esteemed colleague, Sarah Weinman for tipping us all to that on Twitter this morning.
2: Wow. Fantastic. And Murray, you have an update as well.
1: Yes, the Lady of the Dunes
3: has been identified. Uh, A body found in 1974 in Massachusetts has been identified as that of Ruth Marie Terry of Tennessee. The FBI... Notify uh, notify the public of her identity back in November third, so a few weeks ago. So they now that they have her identity, they are now going to again, just like with the boy in the box, continue the case. So I mean, two like long-standing, like fifty-plus years, like cold cases have now have victims who are identified, which means hopefully now that we have the victims' identities, we can now start to uh, find the perpetrators. So I, I mean, just major. Breakthroughs in true crime this week.
2: Yeah. Um, ears peeled for my recommendation, which also is a show about a cold case. Although the head detective said, for me, it was never cold solved in Australia, but we'll get to that. I have an update. At your first appearance, Sarah, way back in episode two, when we were young, <laughs> we watched a very curious episode of Unsolved Mysteries for various reasons. Uh, We learnt that Mari likes her mysteries solved, Mm
1: -hmm. so that was
2: the end of our Unsolved Mysteries dive. (laughs) Uh, This was episode 16 from season two, and Robert Robert Stack told us about Georgia Rudolph and her claim to be a a reincarnation of a girl who had lived early last century called Sandra Jean Jenkins. She had a short life, falling in love with Tommy Hicks, who impregnated her and promptly died and then she completed suicide to avoid the shame of being an unwed mother. I have a slightly light tone because this is Georgia's recalling of her previous life. Insert sceptical eyebrow raise there. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful listener, Shondelle was inspired by our episode, unlike Mari, to start a rewatch <laughs> of Unsolved Mysteries, and she alerted us to Season 3, Episode 7, shout out for nap on the RHAP okay. network, yeah. Which had an update to Georgia Rudolph's story. What do you know? A fellow by the name of Jack Tunick discovered under hypnosis that he was the incarnation of Tommy Hicks. Huh. Ta-da! <laughs> the <original laughs> hypnotherapist who examined Georgia also regressed Jack, and I will read oh. his conclusions verbatim. something very definite is going on but we have no rational explanation that science can provide challenge taken up many years (laughs) later of course (laughs) i turned to crime scenes resident skeptic professor peter miller for comment it was an extremely extensive comment so i will read part of it so wait, what, a person remembers something in a past life that can't in any way be categorically corroborated? How is that in any way an indication that something is going on? Science actually can completely explain what's happening here. It's made-up bullshit.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's prof, don't hold back. And he goes on. But even if we were prepared to accept all that Jack Tunick claimed as something he honestly believed happened, there are still valid scientific explanations. Number one would be that he's simply deluded. He somehow convinced himself that he was Tom Hicks in a past life, in inverted commas. Two would be that hypnosis is problematic and that even the most careful of hypnotists can lead their subject. And it is now well known that the subject so led can come to have actual memories of the alleged event. Both these explanations are more credible than jumping straight to People can remember past lives and science can't explain why. Both of those explanations should have been ruled out before the one that breaks the laws of reality as we know it. Yours skeptically, P. Thanks, Pete. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, we just know a lot more now than we used to about how memories work and are imprinted mm-hmm. and can be suggested and. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to ruin anyone's fun. And if people need to believe these things, I don't think it really hurts anyone, but this right. is beyond like, find, find another segment, find some separated twins, please. Robert Stack, and don't yes. encourage this kind of thing.
2: Yes. I mean, as we said at the time in episode two, we feel, you know, pity and fellow feeling for poor Georgia because <laughs> mm-hmm. she, I don't want to say she's a figure of pity, but the poor lady, in my opinion, uh, was deluded and could have used a bit of a hug. As I recall, she had a tricky uh, childhood and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she just needed more hugging. Mari? Yeah,
3: um, I think SDB put it, like plainly it's like if you if there are people out here who want to believe this then that is their cup of tea like I said and we reviewed the episode this is not my cup of tea at all so (laughs) you know it did not hurt as long as you don't hurt anybody sure what why not past lives and such (laughs) Yes.
2: yes all right so let's get to the main feature I'm going to try and summarize the crime so that we can discuss the documentary and how it's made more fully. (laughs) Crimes. Crimes. The Myrtle family is a prominent legal family in the Lowcountry region of South Carolina. From 1920 to 2006, three successive members of the family served as district attorney, which is called solicitor there. Mm -hmm. Since 2014, Alec, also called Alex, it's spelt Alex, it's said predominantly Alec, which I think we'll use. Alec Mordor and other members of the family have been involved in investigations uh, involving several murders, corruption, and other alleged crimes, including insurance fraud, defrauding clients, defrauding the dead, which I didn't know was a, was a uh, crime, but apparently it is. So stop doing it if you are. Theft <laughs> of insurance payouts and drug related crimes. Okay, here we go. In 2015, Alex's son Buster may or may not. Have been involved in the murder of 19-year-old Stephen Smith and disguised the deed as a hit and run. In 2018, Alex Alex's wife, sorry, this is very complicated. Yeah. Alex's wife, Maggie, and their son Paul and a family dog may or may not have been involved in the death of their longtime housekeeper, Gloria Sutterfield. Alex certainly embezzled a $4.3 million insurance payout. should have gone to her sons. This is the only crime that he has actually confessed to. In 2019, Paul may or may not have been driving a boat intoxicated, collided with a bridge and killed a 19-year-old, Mallory Beach. Mallory Beach certainly died, sadly. His family may or may not have pressured the other four teenagers in the boat to say that Paul was not driving. In 2021, Alec may or may not have fatally shot his wife, Maggie, and his son, Paul, and certainly they were murdered. Later in 2021, Alec may or may not have conspired with Curtis Smith to have Curtis kill him to provide a life insurance payout to Buster, his older son, fearing that if he completed suicide, there would be no payout. Alec did survive being shot in the head, though it is apparently unusual in those parts for someone to miss if they are intending to kill something or someone. As of August 2022, Alec Murdor faces a total of 97 grand jury criminal charges. He has been disbarred, his assets seized, and is currently incarcerated. Ooh! Mm. And that's a summary. <laughs> that's a doozy. That's what that is. Yeah. Sarah, get us started. What's your overall big picture on, on the Murdors and this documentary, Low Country?
1: Um, well, when this Gordian knot of <laughs> um, felonary fel- um, first came to my attention a few months ago, um, I said something to the effect on uh, my True Crime Reviews no- newsletter, Best Evidence. I said something like, if this um, eventual docuseries isn't 16 parts, long i will eat my hat and then when i reviewed low country i was like well someone roll a sombrero and some hot sauce out here because (laughs) somehow they got it done in three parts Mm -hmm. and i i mean i think they did a good job um, sort of taking you, trying to take you through chronologically, like why is this family important? Why is this particularly shocking for this part of the country? blah 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 blah, mm-hmm. and this is such a complicated list of crimes, and some of them may be related to some others, and we're just never going to know because so many of the people who would know are dead now mm. uh, but the The docu-series, I mean, I happened to be watching it with a colleague at the same time a colleague of mine was. And we were like, we're not sure if this is compelling because of the subject or because of the documentary. And I I think Hmm. it's the first thing because the frustrating thing about this is it kind of is not over yet. Like the story is like 85%. Done and it wraps up with Alec going into court and sort of changing his plea, I think. And then there was another update. And they have said that they may do a follow-up episode, but I kind of felt like this needed to be disposed of at least in part in court before they before they brought out this documentary. But it is so watchable. But Mm -hmm. I'm interested to hear why what you guys think about why that is. And is it just the bonkosity of the Mm. subject matter because i think maybe that's it
2: what did you guys think i think that's that's going to be the question of of this um podcast Mari.
3: Mm. so for me um several things this is one of those cases where it's like I was following it as it was happening plus I've already listened to the, the the really great podcast i'll plug it in our recommendations about it and then um i've i watched on, in on discovery back in the summer uh the murdoch the murdoch murders uh deadly dynasty on id mm-hmm. it was also a three-parter and honestly to your answer your question sdb it's I think it's the subject matter to be quite honest because that that docu series just like this one was also three parts and it was laid out almost the exact same way and right. I I was entertained watching both I think I do tend to like the first one a little bit more because I remember when I had watched it, I told Sarah, I was like, wow, this is a, this is a really good property. We might be able to fit it in, but it was in the middle of one of our breaks Mm -hmm. and we just kind of kept moving forward. Um, But it's, it's, I think it's the way that it unravels. I think it's, it just comes down to the way the story unravels because like Anthony Cook says in this docu-series what happened with Mallory Beach and the boat crash is what really unraveled this chain of craziness. You know what I'm saying? Because right. if that boat crash had never occurred, then none of the dominoes would have fell into place where like Alec Murdoch is now, you know, facing trials. I mean, plus a whole bunch of people wouldn't have died as well. But like it was yeah. it was kind just- of like the first domino. As a, mm-hmm. si- as a side,
1: yes. As a side, I mean,
2: yes. <laughs> the 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 number of dead people hanging off this story is, I mean, some order of magnitude from the ones that I mentioned in the summary. Um, these are the ones that we can sort of hold in our heads at one time, I think. Mm-hmm. But they didn't go back to the original. Oh gosh, twenty fifteen. No, mm-hmm. Buster. The original Buster. Uh, right. this is this is four generations of murder men, oh. and we only deal with the crimes of two generations of them, although we do see a uh, grandfather Randolph having some influence uh, in in the courts i I have questions, and I think the question about okay it 's certainly very watchable. I really enjoyed watching it. I had no trouble watching it i wasn 't restless I was gripped uh, I gasped as I'm sure the filmmakers wanted me to do at appropriate moments, they end episode one and episode two, not quite on a cliffhanger, but on a, but wait, there's more. Mm-hmm. And you go, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Every time you see that microfish scrolling past, as kids ask your great-grandparents, <laughs> yeah. scrolling past the newspaper headlines, you think, what am I going to see now? And, it's, and it was always something surprising to me, despite the fact that I did listen to that very excellent uh, podcast, as you mm-hmm. did. Let's get into into the structure of it. Sarah mentions it's three episodes. We're famously, we question whether something needs to be three episodes. It's often ninety minutes in a three hour bag. Here it was. Full from side to side. Mari, you're the mm-hmm. anti three episodes. How did you feel about three for this one? Like, like
3: SDB said, it could have been a few more, to be quite honest. I would have loved for them to kind of um, fleshed out the dynasty itself. I would have loved a, just like a little bit more backstory um, about the, the former Murdos because come on. This yeah. didn't just start right here. Like let's no. be <laughs> let's be real. Um, so I, I would have loved a little bit more of, of about the back um, story. But honestly, like I said, this was literally the exact same structure as the Murder, Murder, uh, Deadly Dynasty. So I wasn't surprised. I I I liked the three episodes. You. This is definitely not one that you would put in a long documentary. There's no way. There's too much. <laughs> it's too yeah. much going on
1: agree yeah so, mm-hmm. agree. yeah agree i mean i think part of it too is not just the subject matter and how it's this i think on um in my review i called it like a rancid bloomin' onion of cases that just keep folding yes. and unpeeling <laughs> but like there is something about this particular kind of um silver magnolia born with a silver magnolia in their mouth southern Mm -hmm. family with people named things like buster and taffy Mm -hmm. that you're just like i you know i'm not proud of it but i'm not unhappy when shitty things happen to them and Mm -hmm. there is something about like my colleague mark and i were just texting like i exactly knew these dudes of that last generation in university And he is actually from the South and went to Emory and is very familiar with this like Patagonia wearing skull dipping (sighs) rapey jackass. And Mm -hmm. I mean, allegedly whatever, but these people seem corrupt and hateful. Like even the young ones who sort of didn't have a chance to be anything else because they're local royalty. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not saying that that's a good thing and I'm not saying it's something to be proud of on my part, but I do think it is very smart of the filmmakers who I believe are not from the States to Mm -hmm. somehow tap into that uh, like wrong Carolina privilege, Schadenfreude thing that um, is happening in at least two viewers (laughs) who Mm -hmm. were like, I, you know, are we still watching because we want, petards to be a hoist in possibly but we can only be what we are um and i'm wondering if you guys got the sense that this is a story that is like maybe better handled by people who are not from the states
2: Mm. Yes. That, I mean, there, are they Israeli?
1: A, I may be talking out
2: of uh, my either Scandinavian or Israeli. Uh, they do. They make very interesting work. It's what, what, what is it that intrigues them that outside eye? So we do hear the producers voices a couple of times, the filmmakers voices a couple of times. And the slight jolt of the fact that they don't have American accents, I think is very fresh. And the questions that they ask can be very apparently simple. Mm -hmm. So that the Mm -hmm. residents and the murder defenders, of which they found plenty, which Mm -hmm. really surprised me, and the (laughs) murder and the anti-murders, were eager to explain how things are. There's a lot of that's just the way things are. And if everyone nods, nobody says anything more. But if a foreigner says, oh, and why are they like that? Or how are they like that? Or what is the that that they are like? I think they got some rather stunning uh, almost, I won't say confessions because these people, the defenders weren't accused of anything, but the lengths and the twists to which people who aren't attorneys went to to defend this family was Quite astonishing, all right yeah they they
3: properly flush out the good old boy system like the the system of corruptness. I loved that this one did have more residents talking about the murdos, which I really appreciated. We got to speak to the family of the teenagers that were involved in the boat wreck, and one of the um family members saying like, oh, those boys were raised that the rules don't apply to them. Their mm-hmm. mother raised them that the rules do not apply to them like i was like stunned that they said that on you know on camera because that's something like we know you know if you if you've dealt with people of that like type of station but she she came out and said yeah her mother their mother let um them do whatever they wanted to she let them get away with murder
2: literally at this point um yeah so, that was beverly that was beverly cook she's anthony's mother and he was on the boat and mallory beach the girl who died in the accident, in inverted commas, uh, was his girlfriend. And he still says that Paul is a good guy. Mind you, this poor young man, Anthony, can barely open his lips to speak.
3: Yeah, um, I. so I think that the, the filmmakers did a great job of bringing people in, talking to the people like I, you know. I was kind of okay with them bringing in the family lawyer and the friend and the people who could defend the Murdoch's. I, I didn't mind it. I, I didn't mind it. Like, you know, I somehow, me yeah, I, I, sometimes you don't, I don't care about both sides but I think this was a great, um, a great docu, docu series to have the both sides of it in it. So I, I liked all of the, the talking heads. Uh, a lot. I think the talking heads for me made this docu series because, in comparison to other media that I've consumed about this case, I think they were lacking um, when it comes to a lot of the um, like the evidence. They didn't play nearly as much of the videos. They have so much video from that night. That is boat, so crazy,
1: yeah. Geez.
3: And they 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 showed a little bit of it, but there's so much. Like that night is literally documented almost minute by minute because the kids were like on Snapchat. Mm-hmm. and it's very eerie it's very interesting um if you go into that if you start with that first crime there and i i wish they had kind of gone into a little bit more but it's okay you know i i think i think you got you definitely get the gist of what they're implicating like the kids went out they you know they were drinking excessively um paul you know, we say allegedly Paul might not have been behind the wheel. But again, like I said, it's very heavily documented documented that it was him. He was the one behind the wheel when they collided into the boat. The problem is he never got his day in court because he was murdered before his trial could commence. So, um but talking to anthony cook and and having him relive you know his girlfriend's death was really sad but it was i think it was really poignant because anthony cook has been in a, a lot some of these other documentaries and i think it's his grief that really like um puts the 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 viewers on that boat that night in a sense because he talks about how he tried desperately to, um, get Paul to like not drive. He, him and his, his other friend, Connor, who was also on the boat. I think, I think they're related in some, some way. They well, they're both, both
2: called Cook, but there are common surnames, I think in, in low country. So I'm not sure if they're related. Yeah.
3: I think in the, in the other one, they, yeah. I, yeah. Anyways, we'll Yeah. See. They're like second cousins they or cousins, something. Oh, yes, I exactly. Yeah. They're yeah. cousins. Yeah. Um, they both tried to, to, um, Drive and and take, you know, take control away from Paul before the accident. But it just he would not let them. So um, I just I, I say all that to say I like the talking heads. I like the opener of. How Low Country started, and again, this is how the case unfolds. You know, this this is what happened in 2019. But the reason why we go back and we jump back to 2015 is because this case in 2019 is actually what sparks the reopening of Stephen Smith's case in 2015, and then. After Paul and Maggie die in 2021, that reopens the 2018 case in the the house, the, uh, the housekeeper's death. So it's like, it's really interesting, the jumping back and forth. And I always appreciate when they do it like this, because like you guys said, in the with the microfiche, they did it in a way that I was able to follow along and it made sense. But, you know, I wonder if uh, Sarah, if this was your first time, um, uh, learning about this case, was it as
1: easy to follow for you as to why they were jumping like that? Yeah, it was. I mean, I like I was familiar with the case. I just hadn't consumed like I haven't listened to that podcast yet. I have I didn't watch the ID thing. This was just mm-hmm. my first sort of like um packaged right, right um exposure to the case. And they do some interesting things with timeline that I think in order to give you a sense of like, like where we started and how it's going, but you know, not to be flip, but like (laughs) Mm -hmm. that you're starting and then jumping back. Like that can be a really kind of corny thing that tabloid news magazines do that they have to do it here. And they have to start with that 911 call that ends up being Vogue which generally speaking, like these are genre cliches that I will mark off for, mm-hmm. but they have no choice and they they employ them really intelligently, I think. And this is an extremely complicated case that I I wanted more because whatever the reason is for the watchability, it is really watchable. But I think that they probably know best, like God knows how much, footage they have but i think it was selected you know advisedly and wisely and i think they probably thought like in order for this not to be the nicholas nickleby of true crime documentaries and when we don't even have like the trial hasn't even started yet we have Mm -hmm. to have a narrow like focus on what we want to do and i think it was successful and they're you know sometimes Documentarians just have to look at the story and be like, this story's a banger, and I'm just going to assemble it and get out of its way. And I think that they did that really well.
2: Yeah, I think the time shifting was very advised and very clear. I mean, again, I had listened to the podcast, Mm -hmm. um, but my memory had, I remembered bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. So in telling it in a non linear fashion is a choice. Uh, we have had sometimes that happen, like with Gabby Petito, where we followed it in the order that things were known, rather mm-hmm. than the order that things happened, and yeah. we found that very successful. Yep. Here, it's not quite that, but as we anchor to this nine one one call uh, when uh, on the death of, of deaths of Maggie and Paul, and we jump back from it and then forward and back and forward, I felt in very safe hands. I mean if nothing else these documentarians are competent um, and I don't say that as a, a knock I say I, I say thank you thank you yeah. for, for taking me by the hand and and leading me so well
0: Okay round 2 name something that's not boring
1: a Laundry Ooh, a book club computer solitaire huh
0: Ah oh, sorry we were looking for Chumba casino Ch- Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: So it's a three-parter. To me, episode two is, is quite different. And I wonder if it's because... The standout is that the victim's family speak. We get the backstory of Stephen Smith, Mm -hmm. uh, who was the, unfortunately, killed uh, at the age of 19. What was it about episode two that struck you, if it did strike you, as different, Sarah?
1: I don't know if it struck me as, as different. Like, sometimes with these docuseries, because of the fact that, like, these aren't, just documentary sort of in space like they're gonna get network notes and i'm sure that happened here that they were like you have to do that sizzle reel for your own thing that people are already watching up top that wasn't that wasn't egregious here Mm -hmm. but there is a little bit of like not throat clearing but just like just in case you've recently arrived from i don't know space or (sighs) never heard of true crime before here's this you know here's the backstory. But I was struck by in the second episode and just sort of generally when they were talking to whoever it was, whether it was victims, families and like victims, parents, but also attorneys, friends of the family, whoever it was. And this was present in um, like the these like highway forensics experts that that Mm -hmm. sounds made up to me, but we could we could talk about that later Mm -hmm. if you want. Um, But they gave, there was room to for people to respond and for silences to stretch out. And sometimes in these documentaries, people sound, especially sometimes like parents who have become activists as a result of a, a certain manner of tragic death of their child, mm-hmm. that it can sound a little prepared or rehearsed because they they feel like they need to get their story out in an efficient manner and be heard. This felt much more organic and not that kind of like her smile it up a room um, hmm. thing that you sometimes get on dateline. And you really got a sense of these people and who they were, how they felt and the parents in particular just they're like the exhaustion of loss and of of a loss that was caused by a like power broker in your town where it's like on top of that who like to whom do we complain like we're we're screwed basically um so i think that the documentary really did give a good sense of the interviewees, like the talking heads, you weren't just talking heads. Like you got a mm-hmm. little bit of context for like them and their thoughts on things that was um fresh. Like you don't always get that. You don't always sort of get a sense of like, all right, I feel like I know what this guy was listening to in the car on the way here. And that's actually not nothing, especially when like the three of us do. <laughs> you're watching a lot of stuff and listening to a lot of stuff in the genre and when when there's something a little different or that lets you sort of branch off into a different part of the story in your own mind that's i mean you don't want to say refreshing in a like gothic tragedy like this yeah. but it's a uh, notable let's say
2: striking. Yes. I mean, we we hear from a uh, Mike Hemlett he was a particular stand up for me he was the smith family attorney but he also gave He's obviously a local man, and he gave a a great overview of growing up gay in the South uh, at his age and then at Stephen's age it being different but still as dangerous. And for the first time, we get law enforcement who are outside the county uh, reach, shall we say, because the death occurred on the highway. Murray, Episode 2, how did it strike you? Oh, man, it,
3: I I love the the execution of it because it felt like you were stepping into a different world. So for me, that first episode in dealing with the horrendous death of Mallory Beach, it felt like we were we're still in the upper crust of society. We're in the, the upper crust of low country. All of these families feel like they're the they're the top of that you know with the six of the friends that are in this boat and you know they were popular in high school you know what i'm
2: saying you know they mm-hmm. were they were those kids and yeah, Pas- passion mixon the amazingly named passion mixon tells us they were the popular kids <laughs>
3: exactly and then when you step into episode two i think um the steven's cousin ashley carroll says it like we're the the poor people it doesn't matter if anything happens to us they don't care and it, you could feel that talking to those people you felt like you stepped into like this is what it's actually like for everybody else who's not rich whose parents mm-hmm. aren't rich who aren't you know heavily tied to law enforcement and government and pulling strings and the powerful percent you know top one percent of that um area these were the the like the hard people who these upper crust are stealing from which we find out in in episode three so i i felt i could feel the shift and i felt the weight of stephen's death here was handled um i don't i don't know if i should say beautifully in a way because they it really again pushed his, his him him forward you know we love when the victim is is made into a whole person and it didn't feel like he was you know a side piece to the Murdoch's corruption. It felt like he was a whole person having his twin sister here telling us how it was for him to grow up gay in that part of the South. It was really touching. And and again, I, I hate to keep going back and forth and um, comparing the two docu series. But if I thought that the previous, that the other docu series did um, the first part better, uh, with the kids i think this docu series did the second part better about Steven's death better even um when sarah gave me the heads up like oh there's gonna be crime scene photos um you know we we want to always warn our 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 uh, listeners there there were crime scene photos for steven um it is blurred out but i thought they did this even b- better too because they explained showing the crime scene photos like this could not possibly be a hit and run lieutenant Thomas Moore of the highway Patrol, he said when he came up they already had like you know the state police were already there the coroner was already there i can't remember if he was the one who said that the murdochs were there too already but um yeah but highway patrol he was saying like as soon as he got to the crash site he's looking at the crash site and he's like there's this is not a hit and run this is not us and so one thing i don't know if it came across clearly in this docu this docuseries but thomas moore was like this is not our jurisdiction like, was because he was like this is not a high this was not a highway accident this should be looked into as a murder as a homicide but the coroner and i think it was i think sl- sled that initial that eventually takes over and reopens the case they initially rule it uh, a hit and run like an uh, accident in a sense, a car car, car accident. Um, so they give it to them, and he's like, "I can't do anything with this because I'm looking at the crime scene. There's no pieces from a car. You're only saying that it's a hit and run because Steven's body was found directly in the middle of the road, which doesn't make sense either for like a hit and run." And then they well, go and then over- there's like
1: a whole variety of people who ran over him and
2: kept mm. going. <laughs>
1: I mean, so many, I don't have so many No here. glass, no skid
2: marks. Uh, his mm, phone was yeah. in his pocket. His shoes yeah. were still on. I sound like I know what I'm talking about, but this is the former mate officer, nicely named multidisciplinary accident investigation team corporal Michael Duncan, and he takes us through all the reasons why this was not a hit and run. He yeah. still had his shoes on. He said, "I do not know of people who are hit by cars who keep their shoes on." So. Mm here is where you could imagine the murders starting to crumble because outside law enforcement is watching, but that was not the case.
3: Yeah. Because unfortunately, like um, it, it's really interesting because technically Stephen, like w- the way Stephen's Steven's body is positioned, it's found like in the middle of the, the night, like, like 4am, I think, or something like that. Yes. He um, didn't tumble. There's no tumbling. He didn't tumble. Body. Exactly. The only reason why they even start to look at the Murdos is because all of a sudden, Randy Murdaugh, which is Alex's brother, they they show up at the crime scene. They're trying to like help. They're trying like they're trying to help. And stick their nose into it they're like what's happening I put
2: their dna there
3: <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. they i think you know they it, they just start poking their noses into it and then all of a sudden as when they're as i i think it's the highway patrol are still doing their investigation somebody's still doing the investigation they keep saying all these rumors start bubbling to the surface people keep saying buster murdoch buster murdoch he had something to do with it it's just whispers people are like kind of scared to go to the police but they're like from what we understand we think it's buster and then we have ashley stevens cousin like well steven told me shortly before he died that he was like with he he was he was probably sneaking around with somebody who's prominent in the community and and it's it's very sad when you see stuff like this like the whole um you know it's it's always the undercover the closet Guys who like kills their lovers. It's 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 so sad to see that because that happens so often in the in the gay community. And it seems like this. They're saying this might be it. They're saying that Stephen may allegedly have had an affair with Buster, and that in order to keep the affair quiet, that Buster maybe his brother Paul as well, who was the one who was indicted in the boat accident. Maybe they had. Cornered Stephen or, or somehow lured Stephen out at night, and or the ones who may have like beat him, bludgeoned him to death with either a two by four or a bat. Um, so it it's. Uh, It's very sad, man. It's very sad. But Buster is the older son. And shortly after Steven dies, Buster's gone. Like in none of these documentaries is Buster ever like really featured. They have maybe a handful of photos of him. He's like an enigma. And it is so scary to think that you could have so much money. They're like, we don't know where he went. Like they think he went like overseas or something at one point, I think.
1: Well, and here's another thing, like in this famously visual uh, medium of podcasting, um, I just realized that I should uh, maybe mention this, but like these people are all fiery gingers. Like (laughs) there is if you spotted one of them at a crime scene, it's not something you're going to have mistaken. It's like, oh, yeah, Frecklor was definitely there. Like (laughs) just funny sort of um, twist to this that like, you know. Are witness IDs and a lineup reliable? Not necessarily, but when it comes to this family, yes. absolutely. And they yes. all look alike, basically. They look very
2: alike. I mean, mm-hmm. the the has managed to turn up at, at all these crime scenes often before the crime scene has been opened up again. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a murder family uh, vehicle which towed the boat that was in the mm-hmm. accident. And as somebody archly says, you would think that uh, the county would have trailers. Uh, They certainly have plenty of boats. So Mm -hmm. there is always this, there's always and continuously this involvement of Murdoch's uh, old and young at at every crime scene and in every investigation. In the first episode, we have stunning footage, very clear footage uh, in the corridors of the hospital of a very busy father and grandfather of Paul bustling around, talking to people, going into rooms and as uh, Anthony's parents say, not asking them how they are and how they're doing. That's not what they were asking. They were no. persuading Connor to say that he didn't remember who was driving, so which, which is why we keep saying Paul was allegedly driving. Uh, and we will never have that uh, confirmed because he didn't get to court. But certainly the first 911 call said Paul was driving. Mm-hmm. So let's just um, have a, a, a pull back now and, and talk about a couple of uh, talking heads that interested me and, and any that interested you. I feel that we had two narrators, shall we say, who I appreciated very much. And one of them was the reporter, Andrew Davis. By nature of being a reporter, obviously he's a good narrator, but he's certainly on the scene for many of them. And the other person who I feel really grounded us and gave us an overview. And spoke so calmly yet passionately at the end was Justin Bamberg, a South Carolina attorney who takes us through the number of disenfranchised, poor Mm. minorities who were ripped off by this family. So, Murray, what did you think about uh, either or both of these two uh, narrators?
3: I thought Andrew Andrew Wright, the reporter, I thought he was very like like he, like you said, you could tell he he's done this before. I was like, okay, Andrew. I, was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I was like, okay, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but the other one, what was his name again, Sarah? Just, Justin Bamberg. Justin Bamberg, oh my gosh, I loved him like he was really putting some, some spice into the documentary and mm-hmm. it's like I, I'm not gonna lie he, he was the only black man in this in this documentary. He was really calling he's like he was cussing he was calling mm-hmm. like this is crap this is bull crap and then oh, so good. And, yeah. And in episode three, once like all of this unravel, there's so many crimes we haven't even talked about that I'm sure we'll just tell you to go and watch the show. But like when we find out that Alec Murdoch is like defrauding a lot of his clients out of like insurance money, like dead, like estates and stuff like that every time he's he's saying another name and showing another picture and it's one black family after another I'm just getting enraged because it is literally the richest of the rich stealing from the poorest people in their in their state you know well you know I don't want to I I'm I know they were poorer than him <laughs> well, that's for sure <laughs> you know what I'm saying so that stuff like that is, is so enraging to me and it just is so evil to steal things from these people who it comes to them through injury or death so they're not it's it's not a good way to make money they are suffering and the money is supposed to help them through their suffering and then he's stealing on top of that like it it was so like just jaw-dropping and Justin did a very interesting job of like really just turning that heat up on him and just like, this man is not good. <laughs> this is this family. They suck. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: He he said the names and showed the photographs slowly. And with he, he wanted us to see who they were. Mm-hmm. And he wrote their names in black, in block letters with what we mm-hmm. call a texture. I don't know what you call it, a marker, but he was writing their names down for us too, which I have never seen before. And I thought mm-hmm. was stunning, Sarah.
1: Yeah, I really, I thought that, his controlled fury was just Mm -hmm. the thing because this documentary does have a way of kind of um, the way that it paces the context, like slowly you're getting more and more depth and dimension to everything that's going on. And when you finally are sort of returned to um, like the, you know, back here in the present where this, this fraud is being perpetrated and it's kind of this amazing, Like, it's this sort of evil scheme that doesn't even Mm -hmm. rise to the level of a scheme. Like, he just used a different bank account name. Like, (sighs) it's one of those, like, hashtags. Sometimes they catch themselves. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, not only is it a really simplistic setup, but that means that he's just unbelievably arrogant and it worked for a while. And then at the same time, nobody seems to know why this was happening or where the money went like oh, yep. how that they're just like his so he stole x and in order to spend all of that on cocaine that he actually did he would have to be doing cocaine 22 hours a day or like whatever you know whatever algebra they did mm-hmm. but it was really striking that it's like here's like all the things that we know indicate that this family is like spoiled beyond um, reclamation. Mm -hmm. and bad and corrupt but then there's all this other stuff that we don't know yeah and getting back to that sort of like runner that we have on our episodes together about like that the unsolved part of an unsolved mystery is like that thing that sort of keeps you watching that you're like maybe this property will be the one that has that piece of information in it Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. that there that's what a big part of what is compelling to me about this story generally that it's like yeah. everything we know is extremely compelling and probably like not easy, but like it suggests a good documentary just by existing. Yeah. There's so much that we don't know still. And the co- the people that they chose to deliver commentary and where they chose to put those people in the timeline of the of the story was perfect and uh yeah bamberg like i just wrote down like everything that he said because yeah the comments had a ph of like 1.5 and i was there for that <laughs> yes. for sure that
3: <laughs> he he said that um alec had to have stolen about 10 million dollars
2: mm-hmm. but
3: that money was never found i think they said that he had like a negative hundred thousand dollars like in a, his bank account or something like that like he was basically they never found the money
1: yeah Which like what, he put it in crypto he had a gambling problem he had
3: a crypto offshore. gambling problem who it knows? has to be offshore somewhere you're telling me and the reason he was able to do this not so uh, like complicated schemes because he's friends with one of the the, the people who own the largest own bank, the bank in their area yeah, so right. it's like it's yep. so it's hidden somewhere. And then on top of that, him them thinking that him he killed his wife and his son because his wife was contemplating divorce. To me, again, like they they kind of pointed out in this documentary, if she's contemplating divorce, the first thing she has to do is figure out what the assets are. Mm -hmm. And maybe she discovered his embezzlement. Maybe she discovered that he didn't have money. Maybe he found out she discovered that, you know, and that he then hid his money.
2: Maybe he just got ahead of her.
3: Yeah, like it's it's so Oh, my God. It's so interesting. But now,
1: here's the question. Why did he kill Paul also? Paul was a witness right. to him killing the mother or he's just sick of Paul's drunk bullshit.
2: Yeah, it could be. They said it looked like Paul was the target and Paul was Maggie the target. was yes. the witness. Mm-hmm. But perhaps that was his calculation to make it look like revenge for Paul's uh, if if he did it. Yeah. to make it look like uh, it was revenge he for Paul's did. actions. They I mean, yes. do process, allegedly. I, okay. but, right,
3: yes. right, allegedly, allegedly. When, do, do we think well, he pulled the trigger?
2: Yeah. The well, trigger? I mean, the, it was the dog. Forensic chemist. Yes, it was the dog. These poor dogs, they're getting a very I bad rap. I think he
3: paid somebody. I, thought he, I think he paid somebody to do it. I think he definitely had a hand in it. I just think he, I. I can't see him being the one that actually pulled the
2: trigger. Chris Robinson, the forensic analyst, very chillingly describes what it would be mm-hmm. like to stand over someone he actually demonstrates it
1: mm-hmm. without okay. a
2: gun but it's enough for me to just go cold of right. how you would have to be standing over someone for the for the headshots uh that were delivered unfortunately to these uh dead people they were not yeah, necessarily so good I, people i mean but they didn't i think Murray's it.
1: probably right he probably outsourced that Is this kind of person, like, is not, like, at least have the courage of your completely evil convictions, but they never do.
2: Yeah. Okay, so updates to the crime. You will be shocked. Perhaps not. Uh, In August of 2022, so some month or so ago, as we sit here, a South Carolina-based former sex worker named Lindsay Edwards came forward with claims of violent sexual abuse and beatings by Alec Murdor. Uh, If you want to read the very graphic details, they are on Wikipedia. She says she was compelled to service Alec on at least four occasions by being held at gunpoint by her madam's bouncer. Edward's testimony could prove pivotal before a jury as it goes to the nature of a person. Mm. Yikes. I want the dynasty. They didn't give us the dynasty. <laughs> I want to go back and see whatever we thought of House of Hammer. It did trace and trace back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that is the, the missing bit is those first two generations. So let's go to our ratings. Sarah, how many magnifying glasses are you going to give Low Country out of a possible five? Out of a possible
1: five? Um, oh, gosh. Uh, four and a half. Because, you know, as I was sitting down to write about it, I was like, I can't really exactly explain why I think this is compelling and I'm not sure it's the property itself. But um, first of all, I think it mostly is. And as we've been talking about it, I think I've clarified for myself that there are a lot of um, sort of invisible hand things happening here that Mm. um, this build is actually very skillful and thoughtful in all the senses of that word. So I think before this discussion, I might've settled at a four, but I'm going to say a four and a half because I really couldn't stop watching it. I couldn't stop talking about it Mm -hmm. with various people, including my esteemed colleague, Mark. And I was super excited to talk about it with you guys. And I hope that there's going to be a part four once there's some court proceedings or decisions. Like I am, Shocked that this uh, freckly jackass allegedly um, is just going to let it play out. Like you got to plead, buddy. But that's southern white guys for you. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm interested to see if there's a follow up. I think these filmmakers are really good, and this was the correct length. I wanted more, which is always a recommendation. So it's not perfect, but I'm going to go four and a half. I was I was pleased with it and happy to be thinking about it.
2: Oh, that's a high yeah. praise indeed. Mari, what about you? What are you going to give Low Country out of a possible five magnifying glasses?
3: I'm gonna give a, give it a four. I thought low country was great. I thought um the three the three series were good. Like like SDB said, I I turned it on and I finished it in one sitting. <laughs> I like easy. Easy watch, even mm-hmm. knowing what was gonna happen. Easy, easy watch. I th- think they did a good job of using um some of the 911 calls. And like I said, I, I like the crime scene photos. I do feel like they went to Alex 911 call to me. Like there was they want they dipped back that a few times. Like mm, I was yeah. like, okay, I get it. He sounds crazy. Like it, you know, <laughs> I, it, it was it was okay. I do feel like I slightly prefer the first one. I tried to rewatch that before I uh, watched this. I only got to watch the first episode. So I still prefer, like if I'm going on one-to-one, I think I prefer the first episode of the uh, Murda Murders uh, Deadly Dynasty. I prefer the second one of this, of Low Country. And I think the third one and both of them just both feel incomplete because the story is incomplete, you know? So I think they're tied. So I like them both. <laughs> um I, I want to give this a four out of five because it's, it's not as as perfect as some of the other uh, properties that we that we've watched. But I think this is a really good watch, an interesting watch. You, It's so compelling. If you don't know the case, if you do know the case, it yeah. really grips you. It, it That's really a good
1: point. You. It's good for even if you do know the case, like mm-hmm. but it goes both ways. Or if you yep. don't know anything about it, it's it's very clear in terms of taking you through it. So exactly works for both.
3: Exactly. Very, very clear about taking you through it. So, uh, Sarah, what about you?
2: Yes, I'm I'm a four and a half. I I think uh, as I was a four and a half at the beginning, as we started talking and Sarah, you said, is it that the story is compelling or is it that the documentary is compelling? I thought, oh, I might have to knock down my rating, but I'm knocking it back up to a four and a half. Mm -hmm. I think the selection of the talking heads uh, was Mm -hmm. very, very judicious. The breathing time they gave in the talking uh, to these people, allowing them to speak, uh, allowing uh, Stephen Smith's mother to have her jigsaw puzzle there in front of her with her hands resting on it, I think was a, somehow a kindness. I don't know why it was like an yeah. emotional support jigsaw puzzle. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a documentary so far that has used Chiron's as part of the narrative. Usually the current says, this is so-and-so, and this is their job. Here we saw the name of the person, and revelation is slightly a strong word, but the revelation of who they were, were they a resident, were they an attorney? Then the family attorney comes up, and you actually start to see the story unfolding as well. So we start to talk to the Smiths, and then we get their attorney. So you go, ah, okay, so there were legal. I mean, of course there are. We know that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I liked I liked the use of Chiron's. We don't like nine one one calls. We don't like crime mm-hmm. scene photos. But in this case, both of those were used very very judiciously. The use of the CCTV footage. Paul should be in jail for smoking at a petrol station anyway. The first thing I noticed <laughs> in minute two <laughs> he do, was he a cigarette at a petrol station. Oh, uh, like he could have been a fireball,
1: and much uh, of this could have been much of this avoided, could have been avoided. or not.
2: So I think in terms of recommending something or not if you just jump to the recommendations uh which we give you a time stamp for in the show notes i think we're all saying yes watch it uh Uh 4.5 from me 4.5 from sarah and four from mari Uh Uh sarah what do you have to recommend to our listeners today Oh, gosh. Well, I just watched this uh,
1: documentary that was making the festival rounds about 10 years ago, and I think it didn't really get a ton of attention um, at the time. There were some reviews, but it's this interesting meta property. Actually, it's called Booker's Place, a Mississippi story, and it's about the filmmaker, his father. Made a uh, made a documentary in the mid '60s for NBC about um, this guy Booker Wright, who was a sort of waiter at this um, Mississippi restaurant in Greenwood by day, and then at night he ran his own place on literally the other side of the tra- of the tracks. Like the the two were like within sight of each other. Wright ended up getting murdered and many people felt that it was because he had spoken out about how things were for black greenwoodians in the mid sixties. Um, -hmm. and the way that this, uh, is structured, it's sort of a conversation between the father's work and the sons. Um, many of Booker Wright's, uh, kids and grandkids are, uh, are on camera and are talking about that. There's a Q and A where the original film is screened, and the the town, black and white, is sort of coming together to try to like work through this with each other and just this um, really dangerous, horrible history of you know clan doings and and everything else that was happening in Greenwood, mississippi and because everything is in black and white in this documentary the lines sort of blur between how it used to be and how it kind of still is in certain parts of the deep south um it was really an affecting documentary uh that is available on like to be i know there's all these streaming services that you're like Mm -hmm. that's made up like that doesn't exist but it is actually available for free or for rent in various places and i was quite impressed that with this like massive issue that this filmmaker just sort of took this extremely narrow slice a, a small town and a like narrow band of this case one man's murder And managed to give a really sort of deep portrait of the story and of his story and his family story. So uh, extremely impressive. Um, Not an easy sit, of course, Mm -hmm. but it's an hour and a half long. I'll send a link for the show notes. But again, it's called Booker's Place. And... I recommend it. And I also recommend if you are into true crime and you like secondhand true crime previously owned, you can visit my bookshop 24 seven. It's online. It's called exhibit B books. And if you can hear the sound of my voice, you can use a promo code XCS one five for 15% off.
2: Wonderful. Yes. Thank you so much. Christmas mm-hmm. is coming. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Who do you know who likes true crime? Yep, gift cards count just saying (laughs) amari do you have recommendations for us yes
3: i do uh like we were saying uh the murder murders podcast uh by mandy matney and liz farrell they are the uh like they are in south carolina i think i think it's mandy who's like she was a reporter who kind of like
2: was following
3: all of these crimes as they were like breaking
2: wow (laughs) yeah imagine imagine being there as these things unfold as they were unfolding truth yeah you would need a crazy
1: wall for sure
2: yes there's
3: 70 episodes and uh mandy and liz Farrell they are currently still following the case like as of like a few weeks ago, they're going through the trial documents right now. So Ooh, if you look okay. up to date, like what is happening in this case, blow by blow, definitely follow the Murdoch Murders podcast like they are they are going over the three latest documents filed uh, by Alex Murdoch's defense team his Alex notice of his alibi defense a 95 page motion to compel the state to produce details on the DNA analysis and spatter evidence and then another one page motion to compel the state to produce more details on the same evidence like they are breaking it all down so go check that out if you want to know um, what's what's continuing with this this crime also, like I said, this will be in the show notes for the eighteenth time of the on Murders: A Deadly Dynasty. It's found on Discovery Plus, and it is also a three-parter. So, those are my recommendations. If you want, if you just need more of this content, because there's a lot, there's a lot we didn't go through. There's at least two more.
2: We didn't really talk. Yeah, we didn't about. talk so, about rehab as yeah. a as a way of getting out of jail yeah
1: um, you know. oh god yeah the murder i think of there's the more i think there's like a docudrama coming that has yet to be cast but they oh announced god. it recently like this oh i mean there's so much room for storytelling in this case but i've mm-hmm. had that um podcast recommended to me several times and i it's am definitely going to check it out
3: yes it's very good and it and it's paced really well um They break it down where it's like, okay, we're talking about this part of the case now. Okay, now we're jumping to Stephen's case. Okay, now we're jumping back to like Paul and Maggie's case. It's very, very interesting. So, and you can actually like, like I said, you don't have to listen to all of you can actually jump around if you just want to hear more in depth on each case and each mysterious death that surrounds this really interesting family and then I think she goes back and in, and in, in talks about um, some of the older generations as well so I mean it's a lot of content out there Sarah what about you what's your recommendation
2: well I'm going to recommend an excellent series on 10 play in Australia uh, it's a two-parter it's called Claremont C-L-A-R-E-M-O-N-T Australia doesn't have many famous serial killers um, you know there's John Justin Bunting relation, yeah. for example uh, speaking of uh, forensic genealogy, yes, no relation. Exactly, no relation. Uh, but the killing of young women in the Perth suburb of Claremont in the mid to late 1990s led to, among other things, a mass DNA swabbing of most Perth men. So almost every man in Perth was swabbed for DNA, including every single taxi driver. It remained mm-hmm. unsolved until 2020. It is now solved and the person is incarcerated. Watch it on 10 play. It's worth a plane trip to Australia to see it. It's extremely well done. And I would love for it to be available more widely because I'd love Murray and I to talk about it.
1: That may be something that comes to like a topic or one of those, or not box, but like one of those sort mm-hmm. of like all English language Mm-hmm. Um, fictional and nonfiction crime streamers. So I will, I will keep an eye out. But perhaps oh, yes, I will yes, quote, fly to Australia.
2: Yes, or, <laughs> quote, to, yes. as yep. I as I said before, this is a, this was this was a an old unsolved case. As the uh, lead detective said, it was never cold. They were mm. always uh, thinking about it. At Crime Scene, we're eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for further episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene RHAP, that's scene S E E N, or email us at Crime Scene RHAP at gmail.com.
3: We're also on TikTok. You can uh, follow Crime Scene on TikTok by going to TikTok and searching at Crime Scene, that's at crime.s E E N. And we're also
2: on Instagram at Crime Scene Podcast. Sarah, what have you got going on and where can people find you?
1: You can find my reviews of Booker's Place, of uh, Low Country. I was about to say Murdoch Country, like it's a Marlboro (laughs) ad. No, (laughs) of Low Country and of all sorts of other things, true crime past and present at Best Evidence FYI, which is the true crime newsletter that I write with my friend Eve Beatty. And uh, we are on social everywhere at Best Evidence FYI. And the bookshop is on social everywhere at Exhibit B Books. Terrific.
2: Mari, where could the people find you and what do you have going on? Well, of course, you can find
3: me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's too like the number two. Every week, me and Matt Scott go over the highlights of the week in wrestling over on the Wrestling Rehab Up podcast. Uh, we just did a review of the uh, Survivor Series premium live event. You can check that out by going to slash wrestling feed to go subscribe to the Wrestling Rehab Up podcast. Um, we will be doing like the year end Atlanta recap uh, for uh, post show recaps. We'll we'll be doing Atlanta a year in review. So just go and follow me on Twitter. So when we uh, when that drops, you you'll know where to uh, find it. So
2: that's it for me, Sarah. Where can people find you? <laughs> well, well, we are still tweeting. You can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Sarah Carradine. <laughs> Catch me over on uh, Silent Podcast. I'll be recapping the latest episode of The Amazing Race. It was an incredible episode in Iceland and we're down to the final three and I want them all to win. I've never felt like that on an amazing race before. Uh, Over Mm -hmm. on Post Show Recaps, I'm covering Welcome to Chippendales with Jason Reid, so you can hear us talking about that every week. And also on Post Show Recaps, I will be doing the year in review on shows that I've covered this year, Bridgerton And our flag means death. So, Mari, what are we talking about next week?
3: Next time on Crime Scene, we're watching Killer Sally with special guest Omar Zahir. Watch it on Netflix and send us your comments and questions.
2: Awesome. Thanks to our inaugural four-timer, Sarah D. Bunting, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me back. (laughs) Uh, Will from America for the theme music, Tricky Rice for the graphics and Chelsea Lesser and Scott St-Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time, case closed.
1: (laughs) I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2.
3: We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free.
1: Get lucky today at
0: LuckyLandslots.com.
1: Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply
0: plus.